0: There are two kinds of federal student loans and it's only about who originated it. There are direct loans which means it came directly from the Department of Education and then there are FFEL or commercial loans which means you borrowed from someone other than the Department of Education. Some of these commercial loans are owned by the Department of Education. They somehow got transferred. So here's what you need to know. If you have a direct loan or a commercial loan held by the Department of Ed you can have the ten dollars or the $20,000 forgiveness. If your loan is not held by the Department of Education, one of these commercial FELs, you can't have the $10,000 forgiveness anymore because on September 29th, the administration backpedaled and said, you know what, if you have to consolidate into a direct loan from FEL, you're not eligible.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Free Retiree Show, the place you go to for your career and your finances. I'm alongside my pal, Sergio Valentino Patterson. What is up, everyone? And I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy. Today, we are talking about something that's hot right now. Everyone wants to know about student loan forgiveness. Big stuff has just come out about this. And today, you know, Sergio and I have been going back and forth on this. There's a lot of confusion. But we said we got to get the man, the person that knows all about this, the go-to resource. And now a second time guest on our podcast, sir. This is a he's in a rare company. He is. He should uh, feel, he's just, feel he's, honored. He is that special though. We got <laughs> student debt attorney, Joshua Cohen. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing
0: great, guys. How are you
1: doing? We're doing well, great. But you know, this just puts you in elite company because we have not had many two timers on this. Mainly because they don't want to come back, but still, you're an elite company. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. Yeah, man. Awesome to have you. Our other attorney that is not as great as you, Matthew McElroy, wanted to be here, but he got called into court. But he sings your praises. He's actually talked to you before. And yeah, Josh is the man. He knows his stuff in this student debt area. But big news. It's polarizing. I think that. I can take that people feel differently about this. If people that have debt, you have debt yourself, you're kind of happy about this. If you are a right-winger, conservative, or you've paid off your debt, you're kind of mad right now. So that's kind of what I'm feeling. But Josh, why don't you give us a lay of the land of what's going on right now?
0: So when you talk about the forgiveness that's in the news, you're talking about what they're calling the Biden $10,000 forgiveness, potentially $20,000 if the borrower had a Pell Grant as an undergraduate student. And yeah, it's all the rage. Hey, $10,000, $20,000, that's valuable to people. There are challenges right now. There's a couple of lawsuits. Two of them were just recently dismissed, including the Supreme Court saying, no, we're not going to hear a challenge to it. But There are some other cases going forward. The application opened up, I think, about a week ago at studentaid.gov, and the department has, I don't know, they're near 10 million applications now, at least. They are not doing any forgivenesses until, I think, this Sunday or a week from, because they want to wait to see if the courts are going to give injunctions or anything like that, because... It's a whole lot harder to reverse the forgiveness. Although, honestly, a lot of this is just on the books. So you erase it and you rewrite it. But we're not handing out money. We're just deleting on the books is a big thing to know. So yeah, it's contentious for some people. Before I run away with the conversation, do you guys have questions that you want to sort of guide this on.
2: I was curious to get very clear. These are loans, like government loans, not private. These are loans that the government has a hand in. Correct,
0: these are federal student loans. And to be clear, not all federal student loans are owned by the Department of Education. And more importantly, not all of them are federal tax dollars. And actually, Sergio, you brought up a good point. So very quick basics there are two kinds of federal student loans and it's only about who originated it. There are direct loans, which means it came directly from the Department of Education. And then there are FFEL or commercial loans, which means you borrowed from someone other than the Department of Education. Some of these commercial loans are owned by the Department of Education. They somehow got transferred. So here's what you need to know. If you have a direct loan or a commercial loan held by the Department of Ed, you can have the 10 or the $20,000 forgiveness. If your loan is not held by the Department of Education, you have one of these commercial FEL, you can't have the 10,000 forgiveness anymore because on September 29th, the administration backpedaled and said, you know what? If you have to consolidate into a direct loan from FEL, you're not eligible. Why? Because the industry actually got upset about it and said, no, we don't, we don't want to lose the business. We don't want to lose the profits off of borrowers' interest. But aren't the services there to actually help us? But they don't want us to pay off the loan. If that's not capitalism in government, I don't know what is.
2: It's predatory.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I digress. And honestly, on a side note, I think it's funny that Mojila is the one that's complaining about this. They're saying, oh, we're going to lose all these accounts. When you go from FFEL to direct, it means Mojila no longer owns the loan if they were a loan owner. You paid it off. Mm-hmm. The thing is, Mohila doesn't have new business anyway. That FFEL market, Congress got rid of it in two ten. So really, what Mohila is saying is, we don't want to die sooner than we need to. They're mm-hmm. going to die anyway. There's no more FFEL market. So I just find the whole thing ludicrous. Anyway, I
1: digress. So we know that if you're commercial side, you're screwed, federal, you got a little, little bit of a benefit depending on your situation, but yes. what is the criteria to qualify? What does that look like?
0: It's a great question. So if you are a single person, the income limit is 125000 adjusted gross income on either 20 or 21 taxes, on your 2020 or 2021 taxes, as long as one of them is 125000 or less. You can have that forgiveness. If you are married or file as head of household, then the income cap is 250000
1: Okay. And same thing, dual years? Yes. Either 20 or
0: 21, as long as one of them is below that cap.
1: Awesome. And what if you go over by $500? What happens in that situation? You get nothing. Oh, that's so garbage. (laughs) That's so garbage. Because
0: look, if you make more than a quarter of a million, you don't need 10,000 forgiveness. What? Look, even people inside Department of Ed said, we don't really, not officially, of course, but they're, the cap has no rhyme or reason to Mm. it. Can you imagine, though,
1: like, if you were the, if you, like,
2: were at a job and they're like,
1: yeah, you want to come in a little bit extra just to (laughs) get a couple of hours," hours and it puts you
2: over? I always wondered, like, with these decisions, 250k is different in the Bay Area than it is in like Alabama. So, yeah. what do they do? Do you think they ever like think about what that that number means? That's a great point. Nope,
0: they don't. And in fact, that question was raised early on with income-driven repayment plans. Remember, those are based on poverty index, but the poverty index is different for Hawaii and Alaska. But the contiguous 48, we're stuck with whatever it is. So, yeah, folks look, I have clients in either San Francisco or even in New York city or lots of parts of California where IDR still is just simply not affordable. If your rent is 3000 a month as a single person, IDR probably not going to help you.
2: Yeah. I was curious the, if we know what percentage or is it the majority of people are going to qualify for this or is My, it a lot of people? Or are we thinking a lot of money or is it just a small percentage of people? So
0: My understanding is it is a lot. Um, When they reversed policy on the FEL, that's, I think the estimate was maybe three quarters of a million people, 770,000 people. In the grand scheme of things, when you have 40 million borrowers, a percent of them aren't getting this. I think it's ridiculous, number one. And yeah, it's not a large batch. But overall, it is pretty good. I know that they said they have income information for 8 million borrowers right off the bat that are getting the automatic forgiveness because the Department of Ed has their income information. And I think they said another 8 million applications have already been filed. So we're talking 16. I don't know. I don't know what the redundancy is between those. Wow. But yeah, a lot and of the people... money
2: just goes off their loan. It's not like they're getting 10K. It's, their loan just now is 10K less. Right.
0: They don't get a refund. So... If they had a balance of $5,000, they don't get a $5,000 refund. They just get 5000 canceled out.
1: Got it. So anybody that
0: owes 10000 or less, their loan is paid or 20000 or less. With the- If they owed more, then yes, their balance comes down, which is good. Because for those people that owe 30000 or so, now their loan balance is even more achievable to pay it off. See, I think that's good. Yeah. Nobody should owe the government money. We made it more likely to pay off. If your balance is six digits, I don't know what 10,000 does for you. One of the thing about six digit borrowers is there's not an actual corollary between people that owe more making more. There is, it feels that way that look, if you owe 250 or $300,000, you must be a doctor or a lawyer or someone making a lot of money. Mm. That's not true you need to look at the career fields. If you're a social worker, you require a master's. That means you probably owe 150 to 200,000. Do you know what the average salary is for a social worker? Yeah, I think they're lucky if they make 60. Yeah,
2: it's rough, similar to like okay? teachers wages, right? Yeah,
0: right. Now, granted social workers, teachers, they'll get public service loan forgiveness, but is this 10,000 helping them? Not. Is 10,000 helping the doctor? No. Is the doctor in a better position to pay off their 300000 Believe it or not, no. They look good on paper, but you know what? Have you ever seen what a doctor pays for malpractice insurance? It's insane. So, you know, this whole idea that, oh, the wealthy don't need it, you're right. And they're not really going to get a benefit out of it. So I think the other thing that people need to understand, whether conservative or liberal, this is all about recoupment. The money has already been lent. I spent my money when I went to college. It's gone. We're not giving more money out. We're simply saying we're not going to recoup as much. Mm. Guess mm. what? We weren't going to recoup most of that money anyway. Okay. If somebody owes six digits and they're on an income-driven repayment plan, so they're going to get forgiveness after 20 or 25 years, Were we ever going to get that $10,000 anyway? No, we weren't. We just erased it a little sooner. Mm -hmm. What about for the people that owed $20,000 or less? Were we going to get that back? Maybe, but we were also going to get it over the next 10 or 20 years. So are we losing all this money right now? No. I want financial savvy people to think about this $10,000 forgiveness is lost money for those that would have paid. It's lost over the next ten or twenty years, and that really softens. It should soften the blow to what it really does to our budget, to the federal budget. It doesn't do nearly the amount that people want to say. I think that the budgeting office said that this is going to cost the four hundred million dollars or something. Yeah, I don't buy that. Now I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to be able to explain it that way. But again. How long would it take us to recoup $10,000 from each borrower? It's not instant. Mm -hmm. So I would just want to put it in perspective for everybody. It does not hurt the federal budget nearly as much as people want to say it does.
1: Josh, can you give us a recap of how it works now with student debt forgiveness on the public side, the private side? There's a little bit of differences, nuances, sure. but can you give us kind of like the 10,000 over, overview of what the average person's journey is going to be like with the student debt, large amount of it?
0: Okay. We have folks that work in the public sector, whether they work for the government or 501c3 nonprofits or certain not-for-profits that are public oriented, such as ambulance services, things like that. They qualify for public service loan forgiveness. It means they pay on an income-driven repayment plan for 10 years. And anything not paid is forgiven tax-free. That is a Bush administration, Bush Jr. administration. Back in 2007 is when it rolled out. Okay, that came from a conservative platform. And the whole idea was to get people to be government workers, nonprofit workers, because they could make more in the private sector. Okay, that program is alive and well and working. Right now, there's a PSLF waiver for the next 10 days, which helps more people get into the program. Great. PSLF works. For those that don't have that, but still have federal loans, then we have income-driven repayment plans, which all come with forgiveness. So after 20 or 25 years, whatever isn't paid is forgiven. Now, one key difference, PSLF, public service loan forgiveness, tax-free. That forgiveness is tax-free. The income-driven repayment plan, not tax-free, but I expect it will be by the time most people get it. Now, Right now, because of the American Rescue Act, no student loan forgiveness, private or public, is taxable until January of 2026. So anything forgiven now until 2026, not taxable. Even a settlement on a private loan that normally gets a 1099C, cancellation of debt, not taxable, period. Great time to settle. Okay. So we have these income-driven repayment plans. They get forgiveness after 10 or 25 years. They might be taxable in a few years. We don't know. FYI, the tax on the forgiveness is a whole lot cheaper than the actual debt. And it's based on your tax bracket. If you're going to be retired, what's your tax bracket? 10 12%. I'd rather pay 12% of $100,000 than pay $100,000. Now, my numbers are a little skewed because my clients average seventy-five dollars to $150,000. Even though the Brookings Institute will tell you most debtors only owe 32. Why? Because most debtors only have undergraduate loans and the most you can get for undergrad is 32. Makes sense. All right. So those are the forgivenesses for federal loans. There's also disability discharge. There's closed school discharges. There's the borrower defense to repayment. If you went to a for-profit school and they lied to you in some way, shape, or form, you can get your loan forgiven that way. Private loans, they don't have any forgiveness plans. Even if you become disabled, most of them don't have a disability discharge. Mm -hmm. They are open to settlements, but you've got to default on your loan. You got to show them that you just financially can't afford the loan and they eventually will come in with something that hopefully is affordable. Newsflash, bankruptcy is a backup. There aren't many attorneys that will do it, but there they do exist. I'm not the only one. And I will take people into the bankruptcy, not to get them a full discharge, but to get ahead talking from the other side so we can get a settlement. Because when they see the numbers and realize we're never getting our 50000 back, Maybe they'll settle for 25 over 10 years. I have gotten good settlement. I don't like to force people into bankruptcy, but you know what? If that's what we got to do, it's what we got to do. I think bankruptcy reform is coming down the line. We'll see. Midterms are going to play a huge role in this. and I'm not going to guess politically where it goes. I will tell you this, though. For the people that are upset about the $10,000 forgiveness, this wouldn't be needed if we had a bankruptcy discharge. Because Mm -hmm. those who need it would go to bankruptcy, and those who don't, wouldn't. Blame whoever you want.
1: Josh, can you give us a little bit more on the whole bankruptcy proceeding? Because I think the thought out there is that it's not possible Like when you have student debt.
0: Okay, so it's not impossible. The way the law reads is student loans on their face are simply not dischargeable in bankruptcy. Unless you can prove an undue hardship. Now, undue hardship has never been formally defined. Congress refuses to do it. So the judges have done it. And unfortunately, we have an antiquated case from 1987. I don't know where you were in 87, but I was like in junior (laughs) high. Most people who need a discharge now didn't have loans in 87, yet we're still using this antiquated decision. Now, this decision is much tougher now than it was meant to be because back in 87, student loans were dischargeable if they had been in repayment for five years. And the debtor that went that this case fell on was only a few months away from getting a discharge. She filed her bankruptcy a little too early. So the judge threw the book at her. But that doesn't apply anymore because it doesn't matter how old your loan is. It's not dischargeable in bankruptcy, yet we're still using this antiquated system. There are some judges out there that have gone back and said, wait a minute, we have twisted this way further than it needs to be. And they've tried to do things to make it easier. It is actually harder to get a discharge on a federal loan now because of income driven repayment. If I have a lower income debtor and their payment is 10 bucks a month, where's the hardship? You can afford 10 bucks a month. The people that actually have a better shot are middle income because they're keeping up with the Joneses. they got car payments. Have you heard that car payments are now averaging 700 a month?
1: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so they're paying 500 average.
0: a month for their car. They've got a house. They've got food. They've got Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and dancing and ballet and does and that. It's hard to be middle income right now because you don't qualify for need, but you don't have the money to survive. And there aren't enough Sears out there that you can buy everything at 10 bucks a month anymore. So they don't have the money. And IDR is not always affordable. Income-driven repayment is not always affordable. They have a better argument. Wealthy, not an issue. you got money. So it's really the middle class that's getting crunched. So federal loans, not impossible, but difficult. I have taken some people through with federal loans and gotten settlements on them, usually closer to retirement. And the settlement is they pay until they're 70 and then the loan is discharged in full, period, done. And what are they paying? They're paying an IDR-like. So maybe because of social security, they're paying $50 a month at best. Private loans, they don't offer income-driven repayment. I love taking private loans into bankruptcy because to me, if you really look at the case laws based on federal loans, Mm -hmm. but private loans don't have income-driven repayment. They don't have public service loan forgiveness. They don't have income-driven repayment forgiveness. They don't have disability discharge. And even worse, I haven't seen this, but legally they have the right to go after an estate if someone dies. Wow. Federal loans don't. They die with you. Mm -hmm. private lender could. And many private loans also have a cosigner. So when you go down, guess who's going with you? Your parents who are normally Mm -hmm. the cosigners and retired. So I love bringing them in because, again, I can get someone to say, let's talk settlement. Because at the end of the day, all of my clients feel a moral obligation to pay the debt and i can meet that moral obligation if the lender comes to halfway and says okay let's do this yeah it can work but again i don't like to put people in bankruptcy if this is their only debt that we need to worry about but sometimes it's large enough that we do want to worry about it look if you have a private loan and federal loans for 100 or 250,000 and your income is 75 or even 100,000 you're still going to have a tough time paying that. Bankruptcy might be the way to do it. The other relief that bankruptcy can offer, even if we're not doing a discharge like I do, even if we're not doing a settlement, if someone files a Chapter 13 bankruptcy, it comes with an automatic co stay. It means I can protect mom or dad while I'm in this Chapter 13 bankruptcy for five years and I have a budget that the court approves to pay the debt. I buy five years. Maybe that five years is what we need to get dad into retirement. Once dad's retired, he's uncollectible from a lender. They can't garnish him. Mm-hmm. They're not going to kick him out of his house. No one does that. And his bank is probably social security, which means they can't touch it. It's a great way to buy time to get the co-signer
1: out. Of it. A lot to think about, a lot of different strategies. It is a
0: lot. I think the message I want to send here is, please don't be afraid of attorneys. We are here to help.
1: You're one of the good ones, though, Josh. You know this guy named Matt McElroy, but man, he's not (laughs) like you. He's
2: got the devil horns. It's (laughs) awareness, too. I think we talked about this on the first episode. It's like a lot of people out there probably just don't know that they have these options that you're talking about.
0: They don't. And I'll be honest, not all bankruptcy attorneys realize this either. Because you know what? They're bankruptcy attorneys. And they don't always see... They don't see student loans. They don't see taxes. They do see mortgage modifications. But, you know, when you call an attorney, talk to them, say, do you know about student loan stuff? Oh, you can't do anything with it. Click, hang up, find another one. Look, I train bankruptcy attorneys too. I turn those no's into, I don't know, come on in, let's talk. Because all I want is for people to be educated and find out. This is a smorgasbord. You don't have to eat it all, but take a look at all your options because you'd be amazed what you can do.
2: Gosh, there's been rumblings about forgiving more than just 10 K, like all student debt. There's been rumblings, rumors. Is this like part one of some master plan of like forgiving more debt? What's your gut?
0: I don't, I think from a political viewpoint, I think it's political suicide to bring up anything larger than what's been done. And I think Biden walked a fine line. Now, granted, I don't think Biden is necessarily debtor friendly, one, he's from Delaware, which we all know is business centric. And Look two, at- Biden was a main supporter of the change in bankruptcy law that made private loans not dischargeable in bankruptcy. I'm not going to say he's anti-consumer, but he's not the most friendly. Either ah. I think what do we call him? middle of the road moderate? I mean, that, yeah. I think he walks the line.
1: It's convenient um, that this is coming around the midterms, by the way. Just, so just all saying. right. So
0: politically, <laughs> yeah, without being political. I think what happens by pushing student debt forgiveness and pushing hard is conservatives say, no, we don't want it. And my question to everybody is, what's the middle ground? And to me and to many people, the middle ground is bankruptcy reform. Because then again, those who need it get it. Those who don't. Just a word for conservatives that are upset about this student loan forgiveness. It's not the only federal debt that's forgivable. If you file bankruptcy, your taxes can be discharged. Federal taxes can be discharged. Small business loans, which are often much larger than student loans, that's dischargeable in bankruptcy. So don't say that we don't allow federal loans to be, federal debt to be discharged. We do. It's just student loans started with the stupid story back in the 70s. I won't get into the details. It's never been supported. The bottom line is if you bring student, if you bring bankruptcy reform, two things happen. One, those who need it get relief, those who don't. And two, to me, when private loans become dischargeable in bankruptcy, you bring market equilibrium back to it because those who don't have the credit, who won't be able to pay back their loans, won't get loans. Then they can't go to school. That means there's a drop in enrollment. What happens when you drop enrollment? Prices come down, people can afford it. You want to bring college prices down? Pull the students. Oh, that will hurt America. You know what? Sometimes it takes pain to grow. I'm not saying I want to see a mass exodus from college. I don't. But if people can't afford college, what it also does is it gets rid of the straggler colleges. It gets rid of the poor quality colleges that can't keep up with it. Because honestly, when was the last time you saw someone price shop, price comparison college? If people shop for college the way we shop for cars, that's it a would be really very different, point. and to me, that's how you bring it back. When lenders have a risk, then the market comes back to equilibrium. Again, I'm not an economist, but this is what I see. I don't think everyone should be going to college anyway. There's nothing wrong with welders and mechanics and all that. Not everyone belongs in college. Great. I would also like to see colleges incorporate VTEC. Incorporate if I'm what? A mechanic, what is it? I want to see colleges incorporate BoTech, the building, all of the trades, because there's no reason why as a trade person, I shouldn't take a few business courses or I can learn. Look, if I was forced into college and I had the ability to do a smorgasbord of taking a shop class and doing calculus, who knows?
1: Josh, quick question on the undue hardships. Mm-hmm. I would love to get some examples when you say undue hardships. Like what are some examples that could be undue hardships? And then for the bankruptcy, if you're going through it and you have assets like maybe retirement account, how are those impacted? Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, let me start with the bankruptcy question first because we got to answer that before we can get to the discharge stuff. So, number one, I don't do bankruptcy work because I don't have time, but it was my favorite class in law school and I've always wanted to do it. And I hang out with enough bankruptcy attorneys that I can answer this on the superficial level. When you file bankruptcy, there are exemptions. So even though you have assets, you're allowed to keep some. Every state has different exemption levels, but there's also the federal. So depending on what state you live in, you might use your state exemptions or you might use federal exemptions. Can you keep your house? Yes, because there are exemption levels. For instance, Florida has an unlimited homestead exemption. It means if you have a million dollar house, you get to keep it even though you're filing bankruptcy. It's irrelevant. In some states, the exemption is low, like $20,000. So that's a problem. but. So you can keep your house, you can keep your car, you can keep your retirement accounts, your pensions, your stocks, maybe not. Can you keep your second car? Probably. Can you keep your third car? Probably not. Can you keep your vacation home or your timeshare? Maybe, maybe not. Your credit cards, they're gone. You're discharging them. You can't pick and choose what debt you get to keep. Okay, this is an all or nothing deal. What happens if you're a sole member LLC so that the business is really your income? Yeah, all of that's going to factor into it. The very short of your answer is there are exemptions. So just because you have stuff doesn't mean you lose it. But I will tell you rule number one, you must be honest with your attorney, because if you're not and somebody else finds out, the trustee, you're in a world of hurt. And we've seen this with celebrity people where Big names are going to jail because they lied about bankruptcy, where in truth, if they had told their attorney, chances are they could have kept their gold watch. But they didn't. So, you know, it is just not worth it. Tell your attorney everything so they can give you the straight out answer. Here's what I tell people. If you don't know the rules, how are you going to play the game? Lay people don't know the bankruptcy rules, and yet they try to play the game. So that's the first part of your question. Examples of bankruptcy undue hardship. There was, I believe, a woman, a single woman in her 60s had been a paralegal for many years. Her IDR payment was low. It was about $50 a month, but she cared for her senior mother. And the court granted her a full discharge on her federal loans because she had done everything right and this judge was a little bit more progressive and said, look, your IDR is so low, you're never going to pay off your 70000 Yes, you pay $50 a month, but what is that doing? And granted her the discharge because part of it was also mental. Yeah. What is it doing to her mental mind to have to carry this debt knowing she's going to get forgiveness in 15 years? It could be taxable. And I'll tell you, a lot of younger judges are all for the discharge because they don't want to see these people in 15 years with the tax issue because that's what's
2: going to happen. So that's one example. Forgiveness is taxable. That's wild. I don't know the specifics, but it seems well, intuitive to me.
0: Again, the income-driven repayment, you're going supposedly going to get a 1099-C cancellation of debt from Department of Ed saying, okay, we forgave $100,000. You got to report it to the IRS. The IRS counts it as income. Now, I know there's an insolvency test. Not my lane, can't talk about it. But there are ways to deal with it. But the average person doesn't know how to deal with it because they use H&R Block, who, that's great, doesn't help you do advanced planning. So, boom, you've got $100,000 in income, even though your Social Security is, what, $12,000 a year? Now your AGI is $112,000? I don't know what that tax bill looks like. Maybe that's the wrong example. But the Mm -hmm. point is. So, worse, you're not retired yet. You're a doctor that makes, actually, you're not a doctor. You're a social, you're someone that makes 75000 but you got 100000 forgiven. Now your EGI is $175,000, and I'm not mm-hmm. talking exemptions, all that stuff. You still only make seventy five, but you have to pay tax on 175. That could be a problem. The advantage is the IRS will work with you as oh. compared to the Department of Ed that doesn't. So it's not nearly as bad as it sounds, and I think it will be, be dealt with. I've seen other undue hardships. There was a married couple. The dad made six digits. Mom didn't work at all because she cared for their twin autistic children that were autistic to the point that they were wheelchair bound and would need care even after the age of majority. They had a lovely home. They had a van that was converted to for the wheelchairs. They had a ramp and everything. So, yeah, even though husband made bank, the wife's loans were discharged because she was never going to get anywhere and she had expenses. They weren't her medical expenses. She had dependents. And that's the other thing that a lot of people miss. It's not just about your circumstance. It's about your dependence. So my question is, even on IDR, how are your children suffering? Because you have this IDR payment of two, three, four hundred a month. You've got to look at everything. Now, I'll admit, I have told quite a few people, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take your case because your payment is only $100 a month. On the other hand, I've taken some where their payment is 700 a month. So... It is very fact specific, but is it difficult? Yes. Is it impossible? Absolutely not. Because here's the other thing. The other side doesn't want these to go to trial. They don't want me to win. All I need to do is win one and what happens? Oh my God, I get my loans discharged quick. They don't want that. So they are happy to come behind closed doors. Many settlements are confidential, not always. And, or even if they're not confidential, the settlement that I got for one person, I'm not gonna get for another person. Cash is king. If I can get settlement for that debtor, then the debtor wins. They meet the moral obligation and the creditor, whether it's department of ed or a lender, they win because they're getting something back. It's the compromise. And what is compromise? It's where nobody's happy. But, and that's what bankruptcy does. It cracks open. It gets cooler heads discussing. And I think it works now One of the other questions I get is, but people can't afford to do this because bankruptcy is expensive. Bankruptcy is not expensive. Is the adversary proceeding, the discharge action expensive? Depends on the attorney. I admit, I flat fee everything because I don't want my client wondering, oh my God, what is Josh's bill gonna be? Don't wanna be another stressor? I'm okay flat feeing. Other attorneys work in their own way. But the truth is we can make these work. We don't need trial. And if there's no trial, then we can make them cheaper. The discovery, the questions we get from the other side is always the same. We can be efficient. We can make these work.
2: What's the profile for a borrower that would need someone like you?
0: That's a great question. That's wide open because for me, it could be anything with student loans. So for me, it's if you have a student loan, I'm for you.
2: Or a student loan lawyer. What's the profile look like?
0: So basically, it's someone that has questions about their student loans. I will tell you this my average client is over 35 years of age. My clients average 35 to 65. I don't get the new people out of college. Why? They don't know they're in trouble yet. (laughs) And I will also be honest, there's a lot more education out there. They're a lot more internet savvy and they find folks like you and they find other resources go, okay, I should do income driven repayment plan. You know what? If they can figure it on their own, great. A lot of people call me for a second opinion or they see something coming out from department of end and go, I don't know what this means. I'll translate for you. So that's number one. If you need translation services or a second opinion, it's just like when people have a cough and a sneeze, they probably don't need a doctor, but they go anyway for the second opinion. So That's number one. If it's deeper, if you're being served with a lawsuit, yes, you need me. If you have collection letters, you need me because I can help you get out of default. I can help you make sense of it. If you're thinking about bankruptcy, then yes, you should talk about your student loans as well, because who knows what we can do with it. And it's not even a size of debt. I'm not one of these, oh, if you have 20,000 or more, you need me. You may have 10,000 and just want the second opinion to know that you're on the right track. I will also tell you this, wealthy people do need me. Why? It's not that they can't pay off their loan. It's about leveraging the debt. Now, while I'm not a certified financial planner, I just spoke to someone today where they owe six digits. They owe 200000 but they also make 180000 And so you're thinking they can pay off their loan. Yes, they can pay $3,000 a year and be done in seven years. Or I can put them on an income-driven repayment for $1,500 a month. They get forgiveness in 15 years. What could they do with the extra $1,500 a month that they're saving for the next seven years? And then there's the stuff I can't counsel on. Would you rather be done with the debt in seven years mentally, or are you okay stringing it out and using that extra money, which they're going to put in their 529, which their kid is going to college in seven years? Where would you rather spend the money? Again, it's a smorgasbord. So no matter where you are with your student loans, you need to understand the rules. I will give you that so that then you can go to your financial planner and say, okay, option A is 1,500 a month for 15 years. Option B is 3,000 for seven years. Pros and cons. What do you want to do?
2: It's helpful. Yeah. I was thinking like if someone's out there listening, right, this is when I need to go and find somebody like Josh. Because I think it's kind of scary and confusing sometimes.
0: Again, I'm available to give you the rule book, to give you the smorgasbord, so you can see things you didn't even know about. That's it. I joke about it. Well, with doctors, I can save them 500 a month. That's their BMW payment. Look, just because (laughs) you're making the money doesn't mean you have to compromise your lifestyle to pay down the loan. You worked hard to get to where you are. Now, some people believe they need to slave away and eat at ramen noodles for seven years to pay off their loans. That's fine. But I want to make sure you're doing it because you know all of your options and you chose it knowingly. Not, oh, it's just what financial investors said I should do. Mm -hmm. Know everything. There is no reason why you should not leverage this debt. That's how wealthy people stay wealthy. They leverage debt. Anybody can leverage debt. If you have it, leverage it.
1: Absolutely. Great stuff, Josh. Just a little shout out to you. Like We've had a couple people that tuned into the podcast that actually worked with you. And I can tell you that they had phenomenal things to say about you. And so you do a wonderful job. I can attest to that, but uh, there's other people out there that want to reach out to you that this is on their mind. How can they do?
0: So everyone can find me on my website at dub.thestudentloanlawyer.com. I always advise people to go through my website. Even if you call We schedule through my website, and we're happy to talk to anybody. I have had people where they booked an appointment, told me what they're looking for, and I know I can't help them. I will cancel, and if they pay my fee, I refund it. Reach out to the website. I also do videos. Every time there's a new announcement about something big, I put a video out. They're on YouTube, they're on my website as well, and I do it through Facebook as well. My newest one was about spousal consolidation loans. A new law was passed that will allow them to be split. This is a first. This is huge. These were loans where divorced couples couldn't get rid of their loans. They were still stuck together because of that loan. Now we can get rid of those. And that's brand new. I can't even tell you how it works. We don't know yet. But again, so announcements like that, I put a video on my website. And I love resources like you guys because I'm all about educating. I would be happy if I had less clients. Is that the dumbest thing you ever heard a lawyer say? (laughs) But that's the truth. There are plenty of areas of law that I can do. I don't want people to be my client because that's that means there's a problem. I don't Mm. want there to be problems.
1: Yeah, just the way you run your uh, your practice and how you consult it shows that you're out there to help, not take advantage. So you're the complete
2: opposite of Navient. Navient, that was mine way back when. You said that, not me. (laughs) I'm just hoping, like the next generation, right? Like my kids aren't gonna honestly, Josh. They're not gonna need you. Or not, I don't want to mess with your business, but I'm hoping it's not even going to be a thing. Oh, we hope, right?
0: (laughs) Here's the point of politics. Nobody has suggested how to stop this runaway train. Even if we forgive all the debt right now, guess what? My 15-year-old is going to be in debt in three years. Yep. Okay. The next generation, we didn't fix the pool. We just drained it. We're putting in new people. And that's what annoys me. I'm happy to talk about forgiveness, but I want change. I don't care if it's conservatives or liberals. Someone's got to crack their heads together and make them fix this. Otherwise, we will always have this problem.
2: Absolutely. I'm just like not going to let my kids take on that much debt. Just not going to happen.
0: It's funny, my 15 year old already said, Actually, I'm going to move out of state. I'm going to wait a year, get in state tuition. I'm like, This is great. Where are we going? You won't tell me yet. but And, and I'm not joking about it, but some, one of my kids, like, Can I be a welder? I'm like, Why not? I'm like, I don't care what you do. Be happy doing it and do well with it. If you happen to not get student loans to do it, great. Just do something. And again, we have to start price comparison shopping. There's nothing wrong with community colleges. And a lot of states have moved to a free community college. Great. Look, the schools that have big endowments, they can afford to charge what they charge because they have endowments. The schools that don't, they deserve to dwindle. Maybe that's a general statement that's unfounded, but quality needs to come back to education and the prices need to come back down.
2: That's like sparking a product idea, like a college comparison. There you go. See like quality of college, what they're good at, cost, value. And
0: so U.S. News and World Report had started with that idea, but I don't think that's what it does. It would be good to have almost a college truth dot com kind of thing where it really is. What are their placement rates? What are their graduates making? Yada. But you've got to break it down by majors. Otherwise, the science majors will offset the philosophy majors. Almost need like a Carfax for colleges, college facts. I don't
2: know. (laughs) There's our million dollar idea or
1: billion dollar idea. I don't know.
2: you let
0: me know i'm happy to help you you heard it here first
1: (laughs) thank you so much josh man appreciate you coming on love all the work you're doing we salute you my friend
0: i am so glad you guys invited me back i'm great to be a two-timer i feel like snl and i want to get a crown for being coming back so often (laughs) if you can make it a hat trick let me know happy to help
2: always hopefully there's something big maybe next year. who knows we'll bring you back on yep you're our go-to All right, right, you've been listening
1: to The Free Retiree Show. So long from now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, .finra www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance. License 0H18660. Michael Murphy is an investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The free retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McGill, are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax investment or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor, Sergio Patterson, do not reflect the opinions of Facebook
2: Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.